0: Hey, sex fans, welcome back. Today is Wednesday, September 10th, 2014, and you are lucky enough to be listening to the podcast edition of Dr. Dick's Sex Advice with an Edge. And I'm your host, that savagely scintillating sexologist, Dr. Dick. As you remember from last week, this week marks the end of my podcasting career, I've done 427 shows in just under 8 years and I've decided that's plenty. While I'm exceptionally proud of the quality programming I've brought to you, my international audience, it's time to call it quits. But I'm happy to report that all my podcasts are archived on my site, drdicksexadvice.com, and will remain there for the foreseeable future. I hope you will visit often and maybe listen in on some of the shows that you might have missed but wait you didn't miss part one of my conversation with Katie did you well not to worry if you did because like I mentioned a moment ago all my podcasts are archived on drdicksexadvice.com all you gotta do is use the search function in the header type in podcast number 426 and voila But don't forget to use the pound sign when you do your search. Katie invites you to visit her on her site, katiequernah.wibley.com, and you'll find a link to that in today's podcast posting. Now, before we begin, a word from our sponsor, Dr. Dick Stockroom. You'll find this treasure trove of sexually stimulating toys, implements, and fetish wear and gear right there on the front page of DrDickSexAdvice.com. Look for the Dr. Dick Stockroom banner in the sidebar of my site. You'll surely enjoy shopping at Dr. Dick Stockroom because it's just so damn fun and, I might add, easy. Yes, sex fans, you can spare yourself the embarrassment of skulking down to your local sex emporium to pick up all those nasty toys you've been drooling over. You can forget about seedy storefronts in unsavory neighborhoods, and you don't have to worry about leering salesmen scrutinizing what you buy. Why? Because you shop from the privacy of your own computer. That's why. Thanks to Dr. Dick's stockroom, it's never been easier, or more discreet to be a big fat pervert. Be sure to take a moment out of your hectic schedule and visit my stockroom today. You'll be so glad you did. Okay, on with the show. Katie, welcome back to DrDickSexAdvice.com. I'm glad that we could make more time to be together because last week I was just getting to the nub of you, don't you know, so to speak, <laughs> as if we're And we were talking about lots of heady kinds of things and science and good stuff like that. Um, So I want to change uh, gears a little bit and talk about um, more sex stuff. Um, uh, Let's talk a little bit about sex positions. Whole books have been written about um, the best positions for different body types. I even do a workshop on the topic. I suppose that if all of this sexual position stuff was so important... God would have given us a vivid imagination and flexible joints. Oh wait, <laughs> she did. So um a, a lot of us get stuck with um sex role stereotyping men are supposed to do this in this position and women are supposed to do this in this position. Um that's kind of dumb, don't you think? Is
1: it? Yeah, I think it's really dumb. And I think I mean both position-wise, it's just so limiting. And um, position-wise but then just also sort of like the general ethos around well a that all sexual partnerships are supposed to be monogamous and heterosexual, yeah. and which is kind of other... like
0: positioning right
1: right, right, absolutely and without other objects, i don't know if people are familiar, maybe some of your listeners might be familiar with Gail Rubin's charm circle, um but it's essentially like here's the good sex and here's the bad sex, and it talks about you know. Monogamy versus non-monogamy, and uh, again, like objects versus not, or payment versus not, or um, yeah. So, what what does an appropriate sexual pairing look like? And it's just really, 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 really incredibly limiting on like age and what's supposed to be there, and what the relationship is supposed to look like. And so, um, and who can engage with who? Oh, absolutely. I mean, they're literally. It's it is just like amazing the amount of sort of like. Regulations, social regulations that we put on sex and sexuality, and so I think, um, you know, those things just lead to like really unsatisfactory sex. To be honest, with with if say let's say we're talking about a heterosexual couple because that is what this heteronormative society chooses to do, um, or not. F that. We're not talking about a heterosexual couple. Epic? Well, I started talking about that because actually there is a lot of research about how, yes, that leads to unsatisfying sex, which is a bummer, but it also just leads to, uh, you know, increase in STIs and HIV incidents yeah. and uh, partner violence and there's a lot
0: Cheating.
1: of... cheat Right, infidelity, Is in, in that's quotes. something that's important quotes, to you. Yes. Right, right, right. We can clearly say as a society that, like, we don't want to perpetuate sexual violence and controlling behaviors and physical violence and also STIs and HIV, like from a public health perspective, clearly that's not something that we want to have happen. And so these gender stereotypes really, like, strong adherence to this masculinized ideal or a feminized ideal, which, again, like, promotes submission and we said on last week's show, you know, control and, like, women are the gatekeeper and men are, like, always the pursuers. And those that dynamic just leads to really shitty outcomes. If people strongly adhere, I'm not obviously not saying that all heterosexual relationships are crummy by, by no means, but just as we, you know, the research suggests that a strong adherence to those constructs is just really damaging to folks. And again, it totally negates any diversity in, sexual expression and sexuality and sex because it doesn't a lot of that research and there and so that's the heterosexual couples and we know also that those things you know I think people have the perception of like oh well you know I'm in a same-sex relationship or I identify as bisexual or um and those actually violence is a lot it's it is the worst with people who identify as bi, yes. as bisexual yep. and then there's also a lot of violence with same-sex couples as well so yeah obviously a really important thing. And again, I talked last week about how I don't want to pathologize sex, and, and I don't. I am at the School of Social Work, so I do talk about social problems a lot. <laughs> um, but, it, but it also just diminishes people's sexual experience, too, even if they don't feel like they're reifying these um, limiting gender norms.
0: Right. So um, here's a curious thing, and I'll bet you have things to say about this. Um, how is it that most medical insurance doesn't cover abortions um, and even some birth control, um, but covers penis pumps and erectile dysfunction meds?
1: Oh my God, don't even get me started. Actually, and and me now started? that the
0: Supreme Court says that bosses even get to decide what is covered in sure, their yeah. employees' <laughs> health plan and what isn't. So nice, huh?
1: Thank you so much for pulling my soapbox up so that I can Step hop right on it. Um, for, well, first of all, look at the Rip Van Winkles that are making these decisions. Okay. Like, how many of them actually have a vagina? And how many, like, how, huh, Right. So we don't even, that is well-worn territory. And seriously, I just told your listeners that I like do a lot of self-compassion practices, i.e. meditation and yoga. And this would not be a very good, um,
0: your blood representation
1: of like my yoga teacher or a meditation teacher skills because I get so reactionary to issues like this because it's incredibly emotional. But I will say (laughs) to keep things a bit lighter, uh, there, Samantha Bee on the Daily Show does oh, okay. this really wonderful interview with the executive director of Naral Pro-Choice, and she, gets, she, the woman who's the executive director of Naral Pro-Choice, I'm forgetting her name, I apologize, but she is, um, she's wonderful and absolutely holds it together and just does a really good job of like explaining how absolutely unreasonable this is, um, and then Samantha Bee gets a penis pump stuck to her cheek. <laughs> hilarious like I could watch it over and over again it also just gets me really fired up and I love to stir the pot because um yeah I I just I would just be curious as to how much money then um those same people that are voting against making access to birth control and safe effective abortions um more difficult for women if they're also ponying up a bunch of cash to pay for early Head Start programs or parenting classes or things that would support children and parents uh, who weren't planning or maybe who weren't wanting to have have their own children. Probably not
0: all that much. I'm guessing.
1: Not. I'm uh, you know what? I'm guessing not. In fact, I know not. Yes. I know they're not. Right. But um but yeah, I think it's actually just very anti-sex. It's not uh, anti-choice or anti-life or yes, it's anti-abortion. Or I think just it's this like absolute fear of sex and sexuality which is so pervasive and so sad to me. <laughs> and it really and like I have had friends challenge me in this, and I welcome that. Like, please, anybody who listens, please write to me on my website or via my email. Like, please challenge me because I love being able to engage in important conversations like this. And I've had friends challenge me and say, you know, well, you are you have really strong views about these things, too. And, like, aren't you kind of imposing your own views on other people when you just talk about them? And, and I under I understand that, and also, my views don't impact somebody's ability to live their life right. and um and don't and and so I don't think my work, I do think that it's again, so important to have these conversations, and that's what I would always want is that's what we need to create is spaces where people are able who maybe have different ideological views are able to talk about these things because, For example, things like abortion are so divisive that it's really challenging to have any kind of movement because everybody gets so attached to their camps and they stay there. And so I love-there's
0: more more heat than light generally. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And so it is incredibly important. And I guess I would just like hope that people-I guess it's just like a basic level of both self and other compassion to to be, like, there is a diversity of experiences in this world, and where is, like, where is my stuff coming from? Regardless of what camp you're in all of the time, like, if we had the ability to truly, genuinely, honestly, candidly have sort of uh, self-reflective spaces and conversations, I don't know. Maybe this sounds very Pollyanna-ish, but I do think that, because it's our own stuff that gets in the way of moving those things forward.
0: It's true. And, and our
1: own healing needs to happen so that they can
0: move forward. I think so. So that's a perfect segue, it seems to me, to talk about teenage sexuality, because all of the stuff that we are talking about in terms of adults um, really start when we are much younger, um, teenage, and even before that. Um, and oh, this God, is one don't of our, say. Yeah, yeah, right. And this is one of our culture's hot-button issues we seem to have a collective discomfort about putting sex and children together in the same sentence
1: yeah no I, I you, and you just did it I know oh my god and, and, the, and you know what I'm feeling and sitting the sky didn't and fall, and fall.
0: Exactly. all that much <laughs>
1: exactly exactly yeah no absolutely I mean as soon as kids pop out they are they are being gendered in these really, really, and and I'm speaking in generalizations. I want to obviously acknowledge that, but in some really damaging ways. I just read some research yesterday, actually, that was talking about the ways that, um, and God, the last thing I want to do is put more like, oh, moms, they're just doing such a crummy job. <laughs> moms get so, so, so much judgment, and all moms. In the world, are doing the best job that they can at that moment. But some research about the ways um, that mothers, in particular, and uh, as the, usually in this study, at least the primary caregiver, talk to boys and girls, and how actually boys, when they're born, are actually more facially and verbally expressive. But then over time, that totally flips, and yes. the ways that the language that parents use with their kids. And so, anyways, I'm sort of getting into. Um, development right now but I think that the the ways that you know if we identify like this kid came out and he has a penis or this girl came out and she has a vagina and from the get go we as adults begin socializing them into the ways that we were also conditioned to be in the world and so those things can be so damaging and they absolutely absolutely spill over into the realm of sexuality and again par- it's it's our own stuff as adults mm-hmm. that gets in the way of being able to have honest vulner it's a vulnerable place to have a conversation about something that like sexuality that has a lot of stuff around it for a lot of people. But I do think that um, hopefully there is more conversations around sex and sexuality and bodies. Um, and I hope it's not just. You know, thankfully, people like Laverne Cox, whoop!
0: Yeah.
1: New Black, great show. Um, but anyways, people like her are, I think, like, trans folks are a little bit more on people's radar now, but I hope yes. these conversations about sex and sexuality and gender are beyond sh- being trans, because I think that it, would, it could be easy for us to say, like, oh, yeah, yeah, I can wrap my mind around that, but I don't have any any other issues about sex and gender and continue to sort of have our own compartmentalized spaces for people rather than saying like, there is a diversity of sex and sexual expression and gender identity and orientation and pleasurable experiences and desires and all of those things are all very human. Um, But I think it's just so ideologically uncomfortable for people to have conversations about or think about their own
0: children being
1: sexual in any way. And and, I'm not talking about boning. I mean, it's like... It's
0: true. But, you know, even medical professionals and uh, other social scientists don't have a common understanding of what is normative for sexual development. Um, And social scientists don't study it because, wait for it, our collective discomfort about putting sex and children in the same sentence, um, and and yet there, there's plenty of anecdotal information in you know in the popular culture. I mean, people do talk about their sexual uh, early sexual expressions sometimes. I I hear about it all the time in my private practice. I suspect oh, yeah. you do too. Sure. But you know, I mean, there's there's no studies. You know, because you know that would mean that an adult would have to approach a child and ask, <laughs> and right. we can that that's right, that's right, yeah, and right, I, right, right, and right.
1: I think that there is, um, encouragingly, there's a little more movement, actually, the, Cana- I don't know what their medical association is in Canada, but I think, maybe it's the Canadian Medical Association, forgive me Canucks that are listening <laughs> to this, but, um, did publish a report that essentially is like, sexuality through the life course, and these are some, like, normative behaviors, and primarily for... Primary care physicians, because um, or healthcare providers, because that is a really, you know, it's such a wonderful opportunity because that is a space where people are already talking about their bodies, and it's also spaces where people can are already feeling a bit more vulnerable or have some established level of trust, and so and care providers live in this world too and their own biases and attitudes and experiences can be implicated in those visits with young people or with parents or, you know, with anybody who, or with older folks. I mean, that's another group of people, obviously near and dear to your heart that like,
0: what are you saying?
1: (laughs) I knew (laughs) because you're old and you work with people in that later life stage but, and that is also like a total like totally pathologized way that we think about older folks in sex and sexuality. And so I think I'm hoping this is actually one of the research areas. I am a very young scholar um in relative terms, but I am really interested in working with parents and um, school officials and care providers around sexuality development because I think it is, so important and quite honestly a lot of the sexuality development work that's been done in the past is with really specific samples of say like um, young women between the ages of 14 and 16 who identified as lesbian who went to a you know GLBTQI youth center in New York City and so that's not necessarily like while that's really important work it it doesn't um, and those were done a lot of those studies were done in the 90s so we don't really have a good idea and I also think So I think that's incredibly important and I also think that um, another reason why a lot of this work isn't done is because so much of sex and sexuality, so much of sex and sexuality ideology is implicated in things that are incredibly uncomfortable for people like consent laws Mm -hmm. and sex offender registrations and things like that which are totally, they differ state-to-state in the United States, and they're largely arbitrary. They're not based necessarily on, you know, again, please challenge me on this, but they're not based upon empirical
0: developmental
1: research.
0: Not at all. Absolutely,
1: but that's incredibly uncomfortable. And understandably, like, I certainly am not advocating for Non consensual sex between people of any ages, but um, but I think that's a there is such a dearth of sexuality development research, and you know, God forbid if we did that and actually found some stuff out that we might not want to hear about, we might actually have to have some evidence based consent law policy be implemented, and that you know, that that's you know, it's, a, it's a curious thing
0: because I mean, if if you go to any just about any um, parent and ask them a very loaded question like, "What do you think is the average age of um, first sexual encounter um, for girls?" They always they always say it's much later than it actually is, and you know they're actually horrified to think that you know their young girls. Uh, their daughters um, are being sexually active, and that you know uh, that just you know uh, says so much about our culture and our inability to you know recognize what what's going on you know and yeah. uh, how people are expressing themselves and what value judgments we place on them and you know I mean it's 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 really a sad thing and you oh, know the totally. double standard between you know what is allowed for boys and what is allowed for girls girl, boys are praised for scoring girls are shamed for having been had so um you know <laughs> and there's that that tension i mean cuz if boys are scoring they're scoring with girls <laughs> and you know for every boy that scores then you know some girl is losing out i mean it's a, it's it's a, such a tragedy it's, it's
1: right not, or if he's not scoring with girls then he yes, is
0: a real deviant that's right yeah yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, and i think i mean it's just so if, so you mentioned talking to parents about, you know, young girls, like, for sexual encounters. It, it's so shaming. I mean, it's so shaming. So, like, it, it's so shaming um, to, like, have the experience of, for example, like, if being a younger person and wanting to talk to your parents about anything that really matters and then having that because probably because of their own stuff around sex and sexuality, and also real fears of like, they're your parent and they want to be protective, and clearly like what we've been sold in this country in terms of adolescence and sexuality is that everything about it is dangerous, Every single time you, you know, give a hand job, somebody's going to get pregnant or an STI or HIV. And I get those are real. And absolutely, that is really important to acknowledge that those things can happen from having intercourse. But there is like such a range between hand-holding and fucking that doesn't get talked about. And so if you try to have that conversation as a young person, which is an incredibly, for most young people, I think, a very brave thing to initiate. And for parents, a very brave and vulnerable thing to initiate as well. And then have the conversation be clearly so uncomfortable or like WTF or OMG or anything about it that feels um, off-putting to young people. It's just it, that the message is like, oh, God, don't ever talk about this again. And, and I think particularly for women, ugh, your body shouldn't be doing any of those things. And for men and young men talk a lot about how those gender norms of scoring and like multiple partners and concurrency, which is having multiple partners at the same time, not like a threesome, but you know, I'm dating one girl and I'm dating another girl, that those things actually don't sit well with them either. And that they don't want to enact that either, but because of these cultural mores and social mores that they feel embedded in it's difficult to be free of that and so you know isn't that sad too that it's not only women that are losing out on this and and obviously if you are questioning your sexuality at all that shame is like totally 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 made a million times worse by the ways that we treat and talk about and policy around same sex coupling and being gay or lesbian or bisexual or queer right. Right. any other ways that you identify that is not heterosexual and so it's just i think parents too really like or or just or just kind, caring adults can miss out on those more intimate relationships with young people, and again, not sexually in- intimate, but intimate, close relationships with younger people because of the fear of talking about the body and sex and yeah. sexuality, which yeah. is probably
0: a part of their own
1: shaming personal
0: history. Right. So we can't, the the long and the short of it is we can't really pass on good stuff to the next generation if we don't have it in spades in ourself i'm guessing
1: yeah i think so and i don't want people to also think you know especially in science i think it can happen where it's just like well shit like it's all to pot now because you're an adult <laughs> and now you're just like you're supposed to be self-actualized by now and like too bad if you aren't and i don't think that's true i mean i, I want to give i i am an adult and i would like to give other adults more credit and like we do do a lot of that self-reflective work. And I think oftentimes having children, and I am not a parent, so you can absolutely take this with a grain of salt, but I think when people have children, it seems to be that that it does force a bit more self-reflection or why am I this way or because a lot, I would imagine it's an incredibly emotional experience to have kids and so, and you think about how is my stuff gonna impact my kids and so i do think that you know just because you maybe didn't get comprehensive sexuality education in middle school or you felt bad about your body which btw that just means you're human like i know i don't know i i know i know zero women and probably very few people in the world that feel entirely okay in their own skin and so you can absolutely start doing some of this work, and it doesn't need to happen in a therapeutic relationship. No, absolutely not. Just with with but close friends or somebody that just safe being vulnerable right, enough.
0: With. And but acknowledging the fact that I don't have everything pinned down, you know that I still can grow and develop, and totally. and, and that you know the stuff that makes me cuckoo, I can can get a hold on and I don't have to pass that on to the next generation and I can learn from other people and you know it's just being open it seems to me that is right. uh, that is the that is the answer and right. I'm afraid that our time is up again for today um as uh, it's clear we could go on and on. Um, we both are very passionate about you know the stuff that we, we take so seriously in our life and that we have dedicated our lives to. So um, I want to thank you for spending so much time with us and sharing your thoughts with us because we are richer for the experience.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me. This is such a treat, Richard.
0: <laughs>
1: Dr. Dick, sorry. Wait,
0: <laughs> wait till you get my bill. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Anyhow, darling, before we leave, um, would you tell us uh, where we can find you on the net um, so that we can visit you?
1: Absolutely. So, again, within the next hopefully week or two, I will have a website up. Um, and my name is spelled K-A-T-I-E, and the last name is Q U E R N A and the website'll be my full name dot um, weebly dot com and then you and can I'll also a link just link
0: to that in today's podcast posting.
1: Oh great, thank you. Yeah, or you can also just uh, Google me and then you might be
0: able to read
1: the entire fourteen <laughs> page tome that is Designer Vaginas.
0: There you go. <laughs> Okay, thank you so much. Um, We will be uh, chatting with you again, or at least I will, uh, and hopefully people in our audience will contact you as well.
1: Oh, thanks a lot.
0: Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. What a terrific show. Well, that's it for today, sex fans, and this is also my swan song from the podcast edition of my column. It's been a pleasure to serve you all these many years, but while this concludes the audio edition, you will still be able to find my written sex advice column on my site, drdicksexadvice.com. Again, this week's podcast sponsor is Dr. Dick's Stock Listen up, you guys. If your sex life needs a little sprucing up, and whose doesn't, I want you to mosey on over to my online sex emporium and pick out something really naughty for yourself, or one of the other pervs in your life, I mean if you can't find what you're looking for in my stockroom you'd better call off the search right now. Dr. Dick has put together a dazzling array of products that will liven up even the most ho-hum sex life. Not sure what to buy? Take a look at my sex toy review site drdicksextoyreviews.com it's chock full of swell gift-giving ideas. Look for the Dr. Dick stockroom banner in the sidebar of my site And I conclude this show with the mantra that has closed every show for the last eight years. Remember, sex is good, and good sex is even better. Over and out.